0: What your country can do for you. There's a time. I tell to be, I believe. The of
1: the world. The oh, you little mouse, so won't you go away? One ringy dingy.
2: Hand off to Griffin, traction the middle, gets the five. Touchdown, Ohio State.
3: Oh, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping down the plain.
0: I'm interested to know, Gracie, who's your choice?
3: Need
2: you ask, George?
3: Time now for Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. Here, with all his skips, scratches, and pops, is my dad, Frank Vaccarello.
2: Thanks, sweetie, and thank you for tuning into episode two of Spinning My Dad's Vinyl. There was one thing I loved to watch my parents do. And that was dance, not the crazed waving your arms and never touching each other. This was true ballroom dancing. They loved to do the jitterbug and the other popular dances from the 1940s and 1950s. It was like my mom was floating on a cloud and it was only the two of them on the dance floor together. It was really a joy to watch so to honor that memory we're going to pull out one of the kings of the dance floor for volume two the glenn miller collection part one
3: Welcome to the first of this week's Moonlight Serenades, coming to you from the Pacific Square here in San Diego. Paula and the modern air start serenading with perfidia.
1: Forgetful full of our promise of love, you're sharing another joy.
0: Where the sad lament, my dreams have faded like a broken melody. While
1: the oh, gods oh. of love look down and laugh at what romantic, cold, sweet mortal dream. Get back with a sigh. The tedious one. Goodbye.
2: Perfidia, with vocals by Paula Kelly and the Modern Airs. That was written by Alberto Dominguez, who also did a tune called Frenesi, and both of those tunes ended up being standards in the jazz era. Also, just Before that was the Glenn Miller-penned tune, Moonlight Serenade, which he always opened and closed his shows with. That particular recording was a broadcast from July 3rd, 1941. Okay, why did I pick this album? Well, the big part of this is it, this album cover is shaped like no other. It's a little bit more oblong than you are used to. You know, you're used to more squarish uh, kind of album covers. The cover itself is padded. It's also spiral bound with the five records that are inside it. A very nice spiral bound uh, liner notes in, um, in the front. Also, a couple of very cool uh, pencil drawings of Glenn Miller himself. So the first time I came across it, uh, it happened to be one of my dad's, not hiding places, but one of the places he used to keep these, all these albums was this cubbyhole cupboard that actually had two entrance points, one from what used to be his office and, and eventually became my bedroom, and then the living room. In fact, it was a nice little spot for my brother to hide during hide-and-seek games. Um, but usually I would investigate the kind of cool albums that he had that you're going to be hearing over the next several, hopefully, years. Um, and this one just always stood out because of the padding, because it was the first time I was probably um, uh, shown... How to use the five records, you know, automatic changer kind of thing. So it always stuck out as a cool album. And the music on it is actually historical because Glenn Miller had his own sound. When he was tasked as an arranger uh, back for um, Noble, uh, Ray Noble, um, he would pair the trumpet along with a saxophone on the melody. And it, the story goes that the trumpet player couldn't really hack it so he took that trumpet part and gave it to a clarinet and so when the clarinet paired up with the saxophone it created that glenn miller sound that they really really liked on the dance floor so let's listen to a tune that really shows off that glenn miller sound Bluff, written by Eugene Novello, arranged by Fred Norman, and recorded on May 7th, 1941. Okay, let's talk about the album itself. Glenn Miller and His Orchestra. It's the RCA Victor Collectors Issue 2nd Pressing, and this collection was released in 1962. All of the songs on it were recorded from studio sessions or live broadcasts between April 10th, 1939 and September 15th, 1942. It's packed in a padded book with 14-page spiral-bound liner note booklets. Uh, it's five albums, number to be played on that old automatic turntable. So today, we are going to be taking that first record and it will be side one and and side 10 is uh, the selections we're going to be using. Okay, I uh, looked at it on Discogs. Saw uh, I don't know six or seven of them up for sale, and we're looking at about fourteen dollar range. I found others on other websites anywhere between twenty and twenty five on Amazon. It was a very very clean looking version, very very white cover. It must have been kept sealed, and that one uh, only went for twenty two dollars. Uh, my dad's album condition, uh, the album cover itself um, is not white at all. It's very, very yellowed, um, although the rest of it is surprisingly in very, very good condition. There's no tears on it or anything like that, uh, but I, because of the yellowing, I am going to say that it is in poor condition, and same for the records themselves. Uh, according to the Discog rating system, the albums themselves are in poor condition, lots of scratches you'll even hear a couple of skips on today's uh podcast so that is the collection i'm going to value my dad's um copy at eight dollars you can tell it was in that automatic player quite a bit and now a song featuring a lead singer he had for quite some time
3: Song of love i sang with you you are always in my heart and when skies above our grave i remember that you care and then and there the sun Just before I go to sleep, there's a rendezvous I keep, and the dream I always meet helps me forget we're far apart. You are always in my heart.
2: Always in My Heart, with vocals by Ray Eberly and the Modern Airs, it was written by Ernesto Lucona and lyrics by Kim Gannon. The tune was recorded on January 8, 1942. Okay. Time to talk about the famous Glenn Miller. Alton Glenn Miller was born March 1st, 1904, disappeared December 15th, 1944. He was an American big band trombonist, arranger, composer, and band leader in the swing era. He was the best-selling recording artist from 1939 to 1942, leading one of the best-known big bands, In just four years, Glenn Miller scored 16 number 1 records and 69 top 10 hits, more than Elvis Presley at 38 and The Beatles at 33. In 1942, Miller volunteered to join the U.S. military to entertain troops during World War II, ending up with the U.S. Army Air Forces. On December 15, 1944, while flying to Paris for a Christmas show later that month, Miller's aircraft disappeared in bad weather over the English Channel. Glenn Miller was a taskmaster. The story goes that the very first recording session that he had with his own band, he wanted the musicians to lay down six recordings in a three-hour period. Well, the musicians had only ever done four in that time session, and they were not happy about it. But you know what? Glenn Miller... Got the musicians to get that done. Um, now back to another song that has even a stronger Latin beat to it, and you can tell why it was popular in the clubs.
0: I went to Havana on one of those cruises for forty-nine fifty to spend a few days. I went to Havana to look at the natives study their costumes, their picturesque ways While searching for some local color, I ran across a juvenile gent And he was such a big sensation I forgot the population, showed me the city And he taught me the customs My trip to Havana was quite a success Running to the dock, though I delayed it, even dropped my shawl. The cuban made it just before the final call. No, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. I'm back in the office and I'm punching the time clock. But you can bet my mind is not on my work. Instead of Bicardi, I'm ordering Bromo. Instead of the Cuban, I'm stuck with the clerk. The other girls may go to Europe and marry into royalty. And they may find an earl or pressure or a gentler's lots of cash. Over. When I Well, he may be a licor, he may be a hick but you can bet that he'll be Cuban
2: Now you know why I love Lucy and Desi Arnaz were so popular in the 1950s and I love that line but you bet he will be Cuban Weekend of a Private Secretary, with vocals from Marion Hutton, it was written by Bernie Hannigan, who also worked with Thelonious Monk, and also lyrics from Johnny Mercer, who went on to write for Henry Mancini, and did a little of his own singing. Uh, that tune was broadcast April 18, 1940. Time for liner notes, and because there are four other albums, I'm not going to read all of the liner notes in this show. In fact, I may never get to all of them. They are quite extensive, but I did find a paragraph very early on. In fact, the second paragraph of the liner notes I think you might enjoy. In the 40 years of his life, Miller, a tall, scholarly-appearing man with rimless glasses, achieved such stature as a dance band leader as to become a kind of shining symbol for a whole generation. He was, of course, a great many things—trombonist, arranger, leader, and so forth—but from the point of view of pure popularity, he was, and indeed still is, a figure of imposing romantic proportions. He, or to be more precise, his music represented romance— Dance bands have a way of doing that, and if you are disposed to disagree, you have only to think back to Whiteman when he was enchanting a whole populace with Whispering and Japanese Sandman, or to Tommy Dorsey bespeaking the heartbreak of I'll Never Smile Again, or to Benny Goodman in the more jubilant Goody Goody. Glenn Miller's music exerted that same appeal, only more so. All over the United States, and for that matter in every country where his phonograph records were played, there are married couples who fell in love to his strains. And you know what? I bet my parents fell in love again every time they danced to a Glenn Miller tune. Okay, on this album, there's a listing of all of the different musicians that went through the bands over the years. How many trumpets and trombonists and saxophones? But there's only one drummer listed. (laughs) ¶¶ Here We Go Again. It was written by Jerry Gray and recorded on July 14, 1942. Interesting side note about the drummer who was featured on that piece, Maurice Pertil. After George Simon, a friend of Glenn Miller's, had talked George into forming his own band, well, George was a drummer, so he kind of had ulterior motives, and he was the drummer on that very first recording session that Glenn Miller had where he made them record six tunes instead of just four, well, George walked up to Miller at the end of that session and quit. Next up is Maurice Pertil, who then became his drummer until he broke up the band in 42. Born in Huntington, New York, Pertil dropped out of high school and started his career as a freelance drummer in New York Studios. At the age of 20, he was with the band of Red Norvo at the beginning of 1936. Later, he joined Mildred Bailey... He played briefly with Miller in 1937, then worked with Tommy Dorsey in 1938-39, before picking up with Miller again from 1939 to 1942, when Miller had the bulk of his hits. After the breakup of Miller's band in 1942, Pertil played with Kay Kaiser until 1944, then joined the U.S. Navy. After his discharge... He played briefly in 1946 with the reformed Glenn Miller Orchestra, directed by Tex Beneke. And speaking of personnel, the vocalist on the next tune actually got fired just before a recording session. You see, Ray Eberly decided to show up late and drunk to a recording session, and Glenn Miller, the taskmaster he is, decided that Ray Eberly would not sing for him anymore. But we will hear from him on this next song.
3: In funny clothes But singing as he goes The lamplighter serenade The old boy loves to talk With couples on the walk But when it's half after love time He reaches for his sticks And from his bag of tricks he lights every star in the sky And if a lady or a foe Should answer no He sprinkles their hearts with his magic Then he steals away To sing another day The lamplighter serenade away to sing another day, the lamplighter's
1: serenade.
2: Lamplighter Serenade, with vocals by Ray Everly and the Modern Airs. It was uh, written by Hoagy Carmichael, I'm sure a name you're familiar with, and lyrics by Paul Francis Webster. That was recorded February eighteenth, 1942. Okay. Once again, great music on this show, really enjoyed bringing this to you, not only because was this one of my favorite albums when I was growing up, uh, because of the things I talked about earlier, how I found it, it was one of the first ones I was exposed to the automatic turntable changer on, but also my very first radio job was at WBBG, Big Bang Grandstand in Cleveland and. Every Sunday, we would have this Big Band Brunch, and it was usually hosted with the band, the Harry Hershey and the and the WBBG Big Band, as a matter of fact. Every once in a while, we would bring in one of the touring ghost bands that were coming through Tommy Dorsey, the Jimmy Dorsey, saw a lot of great bands. And of course, I was able to see the Glenn Miller Orchestra when it was under the direction of Larry O'Brien. That was probably back in uh, 1983. And I got the chance to bring my parents to that and they absolutely loved it and like I said it was so wonderful to watch them dancing on the floor actually to Glenn Miller's band that was so much fun now yeah it was the ghost band and yeah, by the 1980s, that band was filled with college students who were just trying to find their teeth in the world and try to go on to uh, some bigger gigs, maybe uh, bigger recording session gigs and things like that. And it what didn't have the raunchiness of the 1940s and 1950s big band scene that Carl Reese, one of the DJs at WBBG, uh, used to tell me about all the time. He used to tell me about the big bands and, and the guys in the bands that, uh, yeah, they would sing some of the lyrics, but there were definitely non-radio versions back before there were radio versions of songs and you can almost hear that raunchiness in the trumpet of this next song
3: Miller saying goodnight for Marion, Ray, and all
2: the gang. And as the familiar sounds of Glenn Miller and his orchestra fade into the background, we say, Good night, America, wherever you are. <laughs> I always wanted to do that over Moonlight Serenade because we weren't allowed to actually talk over music at WBBG. And of course, that was Farewell Blues written by Chabelle. Rapolo and Maris and it was broadcast on August 28th, 1940 well thank you very much for tuning in however you did if you want all the information about this podcast head over to spinningmydadsvinyl.com I'll be back next week with all my skips, scratches and pops with volume 3 original performance of Rhapsody in Blue go with the flow my friends